Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. This special edition of All Things Catholic features a presentation I gave on marriage, the good, the messy, and the beautiful. This week will feature part one, and next week's episode will continue with part two. I think it'll be a very, very exciting topic for us to look at because, as you know, you know, marriage is something that's really easy, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you can, you just, it's just something you enjoy, like watching a good movie, watching a good, a good game, living a good marriage, right? <laughs> I remember uh, a couple years ago, there was um, um, a young mom that came on a pilgrimage that I do each year to Rome. I, I do a pilgrimage to Rome every May, and there was this young couple that came along, and I I remember we got to the front row of St. Peter's for the papal audience, and then we had to wait a good hour before the Pope would come out, and so we're just talking, and I was telling her about the, the project on, on the revised version of this book, and just was asking her, tell me, what, what are the big insights you've gained from marriage? And she just looked at me with this great seriousness, but with a smile, honestly said, no one ever told me how hard marriage would be. <laughs> You heard about how wonderful it is, the, the great times together, all this, but, but, and they sure, they talk about their sacrifices and compromise and communication and conflict, but no one ever really told me how challenging, how hard it would be, how wonderful it is, how joyful it is, but also how demanding it is, the call to die to myself, to make sacrifices. I remember she said to me, she said, you know, it's two different people coming together from two different perspectives, two different upbringings, two different experiences, two different views of the world, and you're bringing them together. And it's exciting, but it's also challenging. Uh, do you remember marriage prep? You all went to marriage prep? How, how many weeks was your marriage prep program? Like maybe a five-week program, six-week program? Maybe you did a marriage retreat weekend. Do you remember that? <laughs> So some of you have had some really good marriage prep experiences maybe, right? Some of you really loved your marriage prep. The, the best of marriage preps, how well did it really prepare you for marriage? <laughs> Isn't it kind of like you, you have to get into marriage before you really realize what it's all about? <laughs> I remember a friend of mine got, was getting married and his best man saw him back in the sacristy right before the wedding, walked back there, and he was there alone with the priest, and he was walked in, the best man walked in, and the best man had been married for many years, saw my friend, looked at him, and just started laughing, and then walked out. <laughs> and then my friend said, wait, why are you laughing at me? And he says, that's just it, you don't know. <laughs> but you know, marriage preparation, think about it, marriage isn't, isn't a basic skill, like riding a bicycle. Yeah, I've got a number of kids, and I love taking them to the, to the backyard. There's a little bike trail behind our house, and you could take them on there, and they learn how to ride a bike. They fall, they're scared, but eventually they get the hang of it, and they learn how to ride a bike. I don't need to do review classes with them on how to ride a bike. They've got that skill, and when they're 20, 30, 40 years old, they'll still know how to ride a bike. Marriage, I don't think, is like that. But oftentimes we, we look at marriage that way in the church, don't we? Well, we'll give them the six-week program. We'll send them on this little weekend retreat, and now they've got all the skills they need for a happy marriage. <laughs> marriage is more like an art. You know, it takes time to develop or, or, or maybe like a, a skill that one needs in sports. So, for example, if I wanted to, to be a great basketball player, imagine if I said, hey, I'm going to go on a weekend basketball camp. 
And as soon as I, you know, leave that weekend basketball camp, I, I can play in the NBA. Isn't it going to be great? I'm going to be a great basketball player. Or, or think about like playing piano. You know, or imagine if you give someone piano lessons for six weeks, six weeks of intensive piano lessons, are they going to be a little Mozart? I don't think so. They, they just are beginning to learn how to read notes and how to play, right? Uh, and yet marriage is more like an art form. You know, it, it's something that takes time. It takes time to develop. We need ongoing formation, more hands-on training. And yet, what do we do in our parishes? You know, our, our church, we do a lot on marriage prep, which we need to continue doing. But it's as if we say, okay, you learned how to ride the bike? Good. It's going to be easy now. But we all know from our experience, you get into it, and you learn how to be more patient in a way you never learned before. You learn how to be more generous. You learn how to compromise. You learn how to communicate. You learn how to be more thoughtful. I remember a friend of mine when he got married, I, I saw him about four months after his wedding. I said, hey, Mike, how's married life? And he just looked down on the ground and shook his head. <laughs> I said, oh, what's wrong? He said, I never realized how selfish I was until I got married. How many of you could say that? You know, we all knew we were selfish, right? But then all of a sudden you go into your marriage and you realize, wow, I never realized how much I like my own comfort or my own way or my own preferences. Uh, now, my friend Mike, by the way, he said that before he had kids. <laughs> Children have a whole other way of calling us to higher levels of generosity. Uh, but we need, we need that help in the midst of marriage. That's why uh, Pope Benedict and now Pope Francis, they've been calling on the church to do more for ongoing marriage formation. Ongoing marriage formation, where we, we, we are helping couples in the midst of their marriages, 5, 10, 15 years in their marriage, to live it out better. That's my hope today. If, you ever, if you're someone here that feels like, uh, uh, I, I want to I prepare for a great marriage. Are there any engaged couples in the room here? Anybody here getting ready for marriage? All right, so we got some getting ready for marriage, or, or maybe you've been married 5, 10, 15, 30 years. Do you ever feel like your marriage needs a tune-up? It's not bad. It's not like a marriage 911 situation. But, but you feel like it, it needs a little, little tune-up. You know, I need a little fine-tuning. I just want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. If that's where you are, I think this talk is going to be very helpful for you to look at the great picture of marriage, both the good and the messy, and see how the good and the messy together come to make something very beautiful for God. Let's begin with a prayer. Can we do that? Can we say Hail Mary together as we begin? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I think one of the challenges that comes in a marriage, especially early on, is, is where we're, we're going to be confronted with the reality of love, what true love is. Not the love that we learn from Hollywood, not the love we learn from the average love songs on, uh, on the radio. No, it, it, it's a true understanding of love, but sadly our culture gets us to think love is all about just romance and feelings and emotions, right? And, and many times we use the word love in our culture to describe many things. You know, I, I love coffee, I love pizza, 
I love my wife. <laughs> you know? So what does that mean? You know, when I say I love coffee or I love pizza, what I mean by that is uh, I, I get something out of it. Uh, the, the, the pizza does something for me. It tastes really good. That This cappuccino you know, tastes really good. It does something for me. But as soon as I consume the pizza or consume the coffee, the love affair is over. It's done. I move on to the next thing. When I say I love you, Beth, to my wife, I, I mean something different, don't I? You know, what, what is real love? What is real love? You know, if you want to go back to understand uh, 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 the, the real picture of love, which we always need to be reminded of, uh, you go to the very first page of the Bible to give you a picture of love. You know, the first chapter of the Bible tells us that man and woman were made in the image and likeness of God. Do you remember that? But, but if you listen carefully to what God actually says in Genesis 1:26, it's fascinating. And it's going to make a lot of difference for our lives. Ready? He says this. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, that's interesting. Why does God use the first person plural? Well, it's the first allusion to God existing as the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we as Christians, we don't believe that we're just made in the image of God, of some higher power or some impersonal force like in Star Wars. No, we believe we're made in the image of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what is this life of God, the Holy Trinity, all about? It's all about self-giving love. You know, there's a great statement in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that says, God is love. So the Bible says, God is love. What is love? God is love. And, and, and think about, in love, what do you have? You have a lover, and then you have the beloved, the one who is loved. And then there's the shared love between the lover and the beloved. That's the Holy Trinity. In the Holy Trinity, you have God the Father, who's the lover. He gives himself totally in love to the Son. And the Son is the beloved. The beloved Son, in return, gives himself totally in love to the Father. And that very outpouring of love between the Father and the Son is the third person, the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, we are made in the image of that God. What that tells us is the way God made me, the way he formed me, he, he wired me to live like him, to live like the Trinity, which is all about self-giving love. That means I'm only going to find my happiness, my fulfillment in life when I live like the Trinity, when I live for others and I live for God. John Paul II always liked to quote this line from the church's document from Vatican II that said this, man finds himself only when he makes himself a sincere gift to others. Man finds himself only when he makes himself a sincere gift to others. In other words, I'm only going to find my happiness when I give of my life in service to others. Sadly, in our world today, our view of love is different. Remember, our, our, view, our, our, our world looks at love more in terms of, well, what do I get out of this coffee or this pizza? What do I get out of this other person? This person makes me feel so good. This person gives me pleasure. This person gets things done for me. This person is fun to be around. It's all about what I get out of them. And if I treat the other people in my life that way, I'm never going to be happy. Especially if I treat my spouse that way. She's never going to be happy, and I'm never going to be happy. Because we're both wired not for a self-getting love. What do I get out of other people? We are made for self-giving. So ask yourself this question. Who do you live for? Mother Teresa once said, unless a life is lived for others, it's not worth living. Who do you live for in your marriage? Do you live more for yourself or do you live more for the other? We're made for self-giving love.
Now, that love is tested in so many different ways. Uh, but, you know, especially when we first get married, you know, I remember, you know, especially if you're, if you're really into your faith and you get married as a Catholic. I, I, I do a lot of speaking on college campuses uh, at Newman Centers around the country. Uh, I was just up at Texas A&M recently, Purdue Woo! University. Oh, there we go. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Right? Is that what you're supposed to do? Okay, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but but you know, so many young people, they, they, their view of love is all about these 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 great romantic feelings. They think, oh, I can't wait till we're married. You know, we're gonna be you know really really married. It's gonna be we're gonna be really close. We're gonna sit by the fire at night. It's gonna be really nice. We're gonna hold hands, sip some red wine, and because we're really Catholic too, we have Jesus in the relationship. <laughs> We'll sip our red wine and we'll whisper quotes from Theology of the Body to each other. <laughs> now, my married friends, do you ever have times like that with your spouse? I mean, maybe once in a great while, you know, you get to go on a nice date with your spouse. You're out there, you know, looking at, in her eyes and it's wonderful. But, but, but that's not what real day-to-day -day marriage is about. You know, real day-to-day -day marriage in my life is like this, okay? I've been working all day. I come home. I come home. My wife's busy trying to get the, the dinner finished to get it out on the table on time. Uh, somebody comes home from soccer practice, and now we're trying to get the table set. All right, can you get the tables? All right, everybody get down. Okay, we're all sitting at the table. We get the food out there, and now, oh, the little kid just spilled the drink. You know how the cup spills, and you, you see it. No one does anything. They just stare at that water, just <laughs> moving all over. So now I got this mess to clean up. Oh, I got to get the water, fill up the water for the toddler. Oh, oh now there's a poopy diaper. I got to go deal with the poopy diaper now. So I'm over here. They're, okay, okay, we're done. Clean up. Let's do the chores. Get the dishes done. All right. Go practice. Did you practice your piano? Got your, okay. Did you get your homework done over here? Okay. All right. Let's brush your teeth. All right. We're going to do some prayers. Now you go to bed. Okay. And then I told, uh, you know, it's about 10 o'clock at night. I look at my wife. I go, you doing okay? Yeah, yeah I'm doing okay. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Good night. <laughs> that's real marriage. <laughs> and that's real love. You know, my, my, you know, married life, really? Married life is all about the corporal works of mercy, right? It's about, I feed the hungry. <laughs> I give water to the thirsty. Uh, I, I clothe the naked. <laughs> I visit the prison of time out. You know, I mean, there's, I, uh, so it really, I mean, there's constantly, you know, but so many people think marriage is more about we're going to stare into each other's eyes. We're going to dance. We'll have Celine Dion music in the background. It's going to be so beautiful. We're married, you know. This is what married life is all about. But real marriage isn't about staring into each other's eyes. I mean, every once in a while, you might get those moments. It's really more standing shoulder to shoulder and looking outward. <laughs> standing shoulder and shoulder and looking outward and serving others outside of ourselves. And if we're blessed with children, those others, of course, are the kids. And, and, and pouring our lives outward. That's what real love is. I remember once going to speak at a marriage conference and I was on a plane flying to Pennsylvania and the person next to me was asking me what I was doing. I told her, you know, speaking at this marriage conference, I was talking about some of these ideas here, how we view love as feelings, but it's really more about serving others, committed to others, and sacrifice. And she said, wow. And this woman was, you know, very professional. She seemed very smart. She's probably about 40, 43 years old or so. And she said, thank you so much. This is helping me because I've been so disappointed in my marriage. For so many years, I've been wondering, how come my marriage is not like those love songs? <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but it's, it's kind of sad. 
that's, the, that's what the culture has done. We watch these movies, we think then love is all about, you know, some chick flick romance or about sex, you know, and passionate sex. And then if I don't have, you know, a, a relationship like 007 does, then it's just not really marriage. <laughs> you know, that's what the culture gets many young people to think going into their marriage. And then a decade later, they're still wondering, how come it's not like that? The real joy is found not in staring into the other person's eye and what do you do for me? You, you make me feel so good. I've got this rush of emotion. I love being close to you. No. It, it's about shoulder to shoulder and we're serving together. And that's where we find our fulfillment. Uh, the catechism defines love this way. Love is to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. To seek what's best for the other person. It's not about my feelings. So if my spouse does something that upsets me, okay, we might have to talk about it, but in the end, I'm still committed to you. And I still love you, and we're going to work this out. Because my love rises above my feelings. My love should rise above my frustration, or my disappointment, or my sadness, or my blood pressure. <laughs> because I'm still committed to you, no matter what. And I seek what's best for you, and for our marriage, and for our kids. You know, I remember one example of how self-giving love can really be exhibited. We, um, you know, one of my friends says that parenting, here's the definition of parenting. He says, parenting is chronic sleep deprivation. <laughs> uh, now, I remember when we had uh, our, our fifth child, uh, little uh, little Lukey was born, and you know, we didn't sleep much. You know, then we had our sixth child was, was, was coming. So little Josephine was coming, and I was just scared. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm never going to sleep again. And sure enough, she comes, and I was excited. Don't get me wrong. I love children. They're an incredible blessing. But there was that self-centered side of me going, I just want to sleep, you know? <laughs> so the baby comes, and, you know, for the first several weeks, I'm not sleeping. And, and, and most of our kids, it took them a long time to sleep, you know, sometimes like a whole year before they'd sleep through the night. And I was dreading this. But at six weeks, Josephine, our new baby, slept through the whole night. I woke up. I got six hours of straight sleep. It was amazing. I felt like a human being. This is awesome. So I'm going to bed the next night. I'm hoping, please sleep again, little Josephine. And guess what happened? She did actually sleep through the entire night, a second night in a row. It was awesome. Until about two in the morning, her older brother, Lukey, the two-year-old, he discovered that night how to climb out of his crib. <laughs> and I found out about it because I heard the older brother screaming, Dad, Dad, Luke's in our bed. I come out there and go, and Lukey's up there grabbing his brothers. Downstairs, play soccer, outside, play soccer. At two in the morning, want to go play soccer, outside. And I go, no, no, Luke, you got to go back in your bed. And then I, I put him back in, and 15 minutes later, just as I'm dozing off from the girls' room now, Dad, Luke's in our like, downstairs, play trains, downstairs. You want to play trains now, 2.15 in the morning. Uh, and this went on all night long for a whole week. He just kept getting up all night long. And, he, you know, he would go down and play with toys. He would go give himself snacks in the middle of the night. You found these crumbs all over. Uh, one night, he even made himself an espresso. <laughs> morning I have this routine. I get a little espresso. I sip on my coffee. I say some prayers and he sits with me and he must have been really watching because he, he figured out how to make himself an espresso. <laughs> and this, this kid is wired enough without caffeine. <laughs> and so as I'm going around chasing little Lukey on his nighttime escapades, I didn't have a lot of feelings for Lukey. <laughs> well, actually I did. They were not the warm, fuzzy, loving feelings though. <laughs> They were really frustrated feelings. Go to bed. <laughs> um, but my love was really being tested because I knew my wife, she just had a baby. She needs to sleep. So I have to be the one on Lukey duty in the middle of the night. <laughs> and, and it has nothing to do with my feelings and what I get out of this. 
because the only thing I get out of this is high blood pressure and stress and lack of sleep. But I was called. I needed to do it. And I wish I did it more joyfully and more patiently. But that's really what love is, right? That's where love is tested the most, is when we lay down our lives to serve goods, people outside of us. So let's remember the real view of love. That's one key thing we always have to keep in mind. Now, another thing I want to think about is in marriage. You know, if we're called to love and serve what's the, the, the other person, we, we often have to deal with how our spouse is different than us. Uh, you, you, you marry people that you have similar interests, but we're also very different, aren't we? You know, many times we could just be raised differently, and, and, that, and that brings in different expectations, different ways of communicating, uh, new kinds of opportunities for growth for each person. Uh, but you know, I think about a friend of mine. Uh, he, he was telling me the story about he and his wife. Uh, his wife was from a very uh, Irish family, very loud, very expressive. Uh, and so anytime you know, they, would, they would disagree, on something, they'd go, oh no, it's like this, no, it's like this, no, this team is better, and they would shout, they'd be really loud, and they, and they would be sometimes mad at each other on certain things, there'd be conflict, they would just throw it all out there on the table, and then five minutes later, they're hugging each other and kissing, oh, this is great, we're friends, and, and, and my friend, he actually came from the opposite family, a very introverted family, a very quiet family, they never talked about feelings, and never had any conflict, I mean, there was conflict, but it was like Cold War conflict. You don't talk about it. You know, I, I mean, they, they didn't disagree on anything. They could be eating a hamburger, and one person says, oh, this hamburger's really good. And the other person's thinking, this is burnt. But, oh, yeah, it's really good. And they would never argue. And so picture these two people coming together. And he talked about how all of a sudden, you know, little things would come up, and she would just be, why is this happening? And he, and he would be like hiding. Oh, my goodness, what's going on? <laughs> She's so mad. She hates me. Are we going to get a divorce? Oh, no. You know. And then he would just get really quiet when that would happen because he didn't know how to talk. And so when she was upset about something, he would just withdraw. And she's over here wondering, why is he so quiet? How come he doesn't tell me what's going on inside his head? How come he doesn't tell me what he's thinking? Doesn't he trust me? Doesn't he love me? And so in the early years of marriage, this was a source of great tension. And you know what happens in a situation like that? Sometimes you know, one person could say, well, this is just the way I am. I'm expressive. I'm just really, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm mad at you. Can't you just figure that out? But you notice how self-centered that is? It's basically you need to adapt to me. Whereas this beautiful Catholic woman actually learned, oh, I didn't realize when I do this with my family, it's all fine, but I didn't realize with you, you take it a different way. I want to change. And same thing, he realized also that he had to realize, well, when she does express herself, you know, loudly or uh, frustration, that it doesn't mean the marriage is falling apart. It doesn't mean she's super angry. It's just her way of expressing it. So he also had to adjust as well. And that's a great thing we want to do. We want to not just ask the other person to change, but what, what can I do better, right? And, and that, you know, we go into our marriages thinking that, don't we? Do we? Do you remember that old Billy Joel song? You know, we go into our marriages singing that old Billy Joel song. Remember, don't go changing to try to please me. Remember that song? I love you just the way you are, right? We go into our marriages singing that song. But, you know, a few years into our marriage, we treat our spouse like, you know, the remote control. You know, I don't like that, change. I don't like that thing, change, change, change. And we just want them to change all the time. What we want to do is turn that remote control backwards on us. That's what God wants us to do and ask what are the things, I, how can I be more thoughtful? How can I get out of my framework of looking at it and try to understand where, how she's thinking about it? How can I adapt instead of asking my spouse to adapt? 
So, you know, we're raised differently. We sometimes have different expectations about traditions and holidays and levels of cleanliness in the house and uh, <laughs> what activities we want our kids in, you know, or, or sometimes, you know, many of us, we bring various wounds to our marriage and these things from our past, these hurts from our past, they do affect us. You know, the way we were treated growing up, maybe if we suffered under some, some dysfunctional situations or some kind of abuse, those things, they do really affect us. And a lot of young couples find uh, that becomes a source of tension unless it's brought to confession or brought to spiritual direction or counseling. Things like that could be really helpful in a marriage. You know, other things we deal with differences are on our, our money. Money. Was well, that a surprise? Don't you remember thinking when you first got married, money, I hear, I hear people argue about money, but we'll never argue about money. Who needs money? <laughs> We've got love. <laughs> I don't need money, I got my honey, that's what we think, right? You know, but, but in reality, the studies show that one of the number one causes of tension in a marriage is issues over money, right? Because there's somebody in every marriage that, you know, is the, you know, they're more cautious usually, you know, maybe they, they're the plotter, they like to think about the budget, they use the B word all the time, you know, you know, where are we in the budget, you know, and, and you need that, right? You can't just be putting everything on a credit card, it's going to hurt the family, right? So you, you need that, right? And then you have the other person that's a little more free-spirited, you know, right? It's, you know, oh, whew. And they come home, well, why did you buy that? We already have one. It was on sale. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, hold on. You know, but, you know, so you need the budget person, right? But, but the budget person can sometimes be so rigid and conservative. You also need to have a life yeah, and be flexible as well. And, and so those two people coming together, that's another way we come together. But Thanks for listening to this special edition of All Things Catholic. If you want to continue hearing about marriage, the messy and the beautiful, stay tuned for next week because in next week's episode, we're going to explore the differences between men and women and how that plays out in a marriage. You can reach me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my website, edwards3.com. If you haven't written a review of this podcast, please do so. I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much, and God bless.